Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Kurt Wilkin. Kurt, welcome to the show. Oh, man. Thanks so much for having me. I love what you guys are doing. I believe that capitalism can be a change agent for good, and you are giving everybody the tools to make that happen. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you being with me today to help share that. And Kurt is going to share his entrepreneurial journey and insights and tips on how to hire better to help us launch, run, and grow a small business. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page to this episode, and how you can continue to support my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowabusiness.com. So Kurt Wilkin is a gifted connector of dots, ideas, and people. And for the past 30 years, he has advised high growth companies starting his career with Ernst & Young. And today in his roles as co-founder and visionary of Hire Better and managing partner of B Cave Capital, uh, where today that's what his roles are. I started that sentence incorrectly, but today that's what he focuses on, Hire Better and B Cave Capital. Hire Better is a national recruiting firm working directly with leaders of high growth companies to build game-changing teams. He's a serial entrepreneur with multiple successful exits and has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs and CEOs build their companies. Kurt lives in the Austin, Texas area. He is the author of the book, Who's Your Mike? A No BS Guide to the People You Will Meet on Your Entrepreneurial Journey. And we're going to dive into a lot of the aspects that he shares in that book, Who's Your Mike? Kurt Wilkham, welcome to the show. And Henry, again, thanks so much for having me. You talk about the hundreds of entrepreneurs I've helped. I can only imagine the thousands of <laughs> entrepreneurs you've helped. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. This uh, the show has been successful because I've had an opportunity to chat with people like yourself who share their knowledge and their experiences, and and you've got quite a quite a career and a background. So I'd like to start there. If you could just give me a, an early brief summary of your career in finance, if as I, I was doing the research, if I got that part right, you started in the finance space, correct? Yeah, you know, I started my first job out of college was Ernst & Young, which is one of the premier consulting firms in the world. And what I learned very early on is while I was a CPA, Henry, I was a bad CPA. <laughs> so, but is that what much, you studied in school? Did you study finance in school or what did I, you study? I studied accounting in school accounting, and okay. I, I was okay at it. But uh, I also started my own business in college called the Greek Directory, which was a fraternity and sorority phone book. And I realized I enjoyed that much more than I enjoyed accounting, but I do love working with people. And that's where I, I did find a home at Ernst Young on that front, but man, accounting and finance, not my bag. Why did you study that? Well, I was, uh, you know, like a lot of people, I don't really know what I want to do when I went, went to college and uh, I, I had heard accounting was the best business degree to have. And uh, my dad kind of pushed me in that direction a bit. And uh, so I guess, uh, it, it all happened for a reason. I think it all turned out well, but um, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of us going into college really don't know what we want to do. I, yeah, no, I tell it's a people, challenge. I tell people sometimes I'm 53 years old. And I still don't know what I want to do. So, uh. <laughs> exactly. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. But, you know, I, 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 this point is such a big one, Kurt, because I think of my daughter just recently went through it. She's 23. So that, that pressure now is even greater, I think, Kurt, on 
young people having to decide what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And so that's why I'm always curious about that. But I'm also curious back then, did you at that point aspire to own your own business? You know, I think it would be grandiose to say that I did. I, I, I was just getting through life. <laughs> and uh, I think I, I let life and, and fate and God uh, uh, move me in the direction I ultimately went. So I, I just uh, I just went in the direction that felt right at the time. And at the time, it was to, to go get my CPA and do the best I could with that degree. And then it took me other places. Yeah. So what led to starting and, and when did you start your first business? So my first, I'll call it real business out of college, was called the Controller Group. And that was after I left EY to go chase a dot-com dream. And that dot-com dream uh, went belly up about 15 months in. And like a lot of your audience, entrepreneurs who started in a, with a bad event, um, I started uh, an entrepreneur, my entrepreneurial journey, because I was out of a job and needed to, to feed my, my wife and my new baby. Mm-hmm. So that's the why. Yeah. And in that business, uh, what was the success you enjoyed there? And then where, where did you go from there? Man, we were so fortunate, Henry. I, I uh, was lucky enough to, to partner with someone really good in, in the technical aspect of finance and accounting, Brett Lawson, and then uh, Kathy Schrock. And I was pretty good at the people side. And together we built a, I'll call it a finance and accounting consulting firm that had, had a rocket ship ride from early 2001 or so to 2006, grew to about 20 million in revenue, 110 or so professionals. And we ultimately sold to a national firm called Tatum in 2006. So it was a rocket ship ride. And uh, uh, I think the beauty was we, we put our talents together and uh, three were way better than three individuals. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So what would you say now you've been a business owner for quite some time now, various businesses have had successful exits. What does being a business owner do for you? What does it provide for you? You know, for me, it provides uh, flexibility. I can do, I can go where I want at, at times. It also provides me freedom um, you know, to do that, but it also provides me you know, good compensation when things are well. But there's a lot of risk inherent in that. You don't always have a paycheck and, and it's, uh, you're, you're sometimes always on. So there's definitely downsides to being an entrepreneur. I happen to appreciate the upsides more than the downsides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I think I'm starting to see a thread, you know, in your bio, we talked about your gifted at connecting dots. You've mentioned that you're, you like the people side of things. I'm curious then of those were the seeds of, but what leads to you wanting to focus on recruiting? and hiring and these aspects of building high-performing teams? What, what takes you there? That's a great question, Henry. You know, as I reflect back in my time at Ernst & Young and the controller group, it, it's all about the people and all of our clients, as much as they have a, a fancy product or service or whatever, it really comes down to the people. And I felt like um, the recruiting industry as a whole is broken and we can talk about that if you'd like. And as I, I bought Hire Better in 2011 with the goal to change the industry and just disrupt it, you know, so to speak. The reality is uh, that's harder to do than you think, <laughs> but we've taken our slice of the recruiting industry and we've made a, uh, a nice little niche to serve our audience, which specifically is, it's what we call dynamic disruptors. It's entrepreneurs doing amazing things. And uh uh, it's, it's been a, a really fulfilling for me and we can make a tremendous impact uh, mm-hmm. with the clients we work with. Yeah. 
All right. So what leads you to deciding to write the book? Who's your mic? Man, uh, the, the, the backstory is I have dozens, if not hundreds of conversations with entrepreneurs, you know, on a monthly basis talking about talent. Sometimes it's recruiting. Sometimes it's existing talent that they've outgrown. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's trying to develop or coach or mentor their, their, uh, their current team. And as I have these discussions, the aha moments are endless with these folks in a one-on-one -on -one basis. And what I decided I needed to do is get the message out there more from a one-to-one -to, -one to a one-to-many and really it try to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs and business owners through what I've learned about managing a talent, both from a recruiting and an ongoing um, leadership perspective. Yeah. And what where, where is the, the title? How did you come up with that title? What is it supposed to mean? You know, that started with an article I wrote several years ago, and uh, I'll give you the quick story. Uh, Mike is the character. Mike was your fraternity brother in college, and he uh, was your best friend. He, he took a couple of hours of accounting, and you guys were thick as thieves doing everything together. When you left a college, graduated, and started your business in your garage, Mike was right there with you, nights and weekends from his day job, helping you with all the administrative back office stuff that, that you didn't like to do and you didn't have time for. As you grew and became a real company, he quit his job and became your accountant. Again, handling all those important but administrative and, and tasks like setting up your LLC and your, your bank account and uh, things like that. And ultimately, you reward him with the controller title and he learns QuickBooks and, you know, again, doing all that stuff on the side or doing that stuff for you. Um, he's working hundred hours a week. He's busting his hump for you and you reward him with the CFO title, but now you're doing $10 million in revenue. You're a real company. And he's trying to negotiate a $10 million line of credit with the bank and maybe even a big merger deal with your biggest competitor. Mike's working hundred hours a week with no staff. He's really swirling. He's in over his head, really didn't know where to go, where to turn. And the question is, who's your Mike? Everybody's got a mic. Every entrepreneur has someone in accounting or finance, sales, marketing, operations, whatever, who they've out simply outgrown on their team and what do you do with your mic? Okay. What do you do because you've outgrown that person as a talent, but it also almost sounded like you're defining or, or, or using him as the avatar for your integrator. Am I, what am I missing there? So uh, the book is actually 11 different avatars or, or archetypes. I see, and I see. Uh, the integrator is my, my, um, my uh, keystone character at the end of the book called Natalie, but Mike is just one character and we have several other versions okay. of, of types. I got it. But now it's, it's about, you will outgrow, hopefully as you grow your business, you are Mike and, and how do you, and then that's hence the, the subtitle, the, the no BS guide to the people you will meet on your entrepreneurial journey, the other people that you, the other talents that you have to bring in to help you continue to grow your business. Exactly. The, the book's a, a combination of some legacy employees that have their ups and downs. There's some people you brought in from the outside who uh, had challenges and, and opportunities, as well as uh, some other uh, archetypes you're going to meet. And uh, every subsection, if you will, has a, an intermission where we go through some advice. So let's say I have a mic. What do I do with them? Well, the easy, there's, everyone's going to have an easy answer for you, but it's, it's more nuanced than that. Is Mike a, a jerk? Well, maybe that's an easy decision. Is Mike a really good individual contributor that you can put somewhere on your team? That might be a decision. 
with the caveat that make sure you don't move your mics around just to try to keep them happy because you want to keep them out of their loyalty, out of their loyalty right, for you. Right, or because you think you owe them and therefore you keep bringing them into more senior positions that they're just not fit for. Fit for. That's exactly right, Henry. You've seen it a hundred times. I'm sure your guests are your, uh, I know your guests have, and I'm sure your, uh, your audience has as well. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. We'll come back to obviously co- content from the book as we go through these questions. I want to start, I thought, at a high level, as we segue into hiring better uh, from a small business perspective, what are, from your perspective, what are your fundamental concepts or constructs about hiring better, especially as you said, talent, or I call them sometimes we might refer to them as high-performing individuals. How, what are your fundamental concepts of how we hire those people better? You know, I started off, uh, Henry, by, by saying that I felt like the recruiting industry is broken. And part of the reason it's broken is how we've been conditioned, how recruiters have been conditioned to serve clients in this lower middle market, these dynamic disruptors. What I mean by that is uh, the entrepreneurs who are growing rapidly, usually we, and I'm using this, uh, I'm looking at myself in the mirror when I say this, we tend to be reactive. And we we might uh, reach for a friend of a friend, or we might hire somebody just to put somebody uh, butt in the seat. And what we need to be doing is taking a step back really exists uh, assessing where are we going as an organization? What are the key drivers that are going to lead to our growth? And let's assess our existing team with a, a real honest assessment and how are they going to help us achieve those goals? Start there before we even consider going out and finding the right talent or recruiting somebody. If we have for the wrong people in the wrong seats from the start we're in, and we're very reactive and rushed in our hiring, we're going to make a bad hire. Yeah. And it just seems to me, if I'm following what you're saying here, I've observed, and I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm guilty of it as well, that we, as small business owners, wait almost too long. Well, it is too long before we say, all right, let's go ahead and hire that person that we really needed to think about and plan for hiring a year ago. You know, that's exactly right. Um, not just making the hire a year ago, but begin thinking about it and sourcing people, talking to people. Uh, building up a ca- candidate pool so you can move when the time is right. I see. I see. Especially, and nowadays that applies tremendously because of how tight the market is. And we'll talk more about that, but it really comes into play in that regard as well, doesn't it? No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I agree with you that the recruiting industry is broken, having freshly been uh, leading a project for one of my clients to recruit for a, a fairly senior position in their firm. And uh, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that I probably in that six month or so process went through easily 10 recruiting companies. And uh, the, the process was this, they'd present two or three candidates, you know, differing levels uh, depending on the company as to how well they listened to what we were looking for as to whether they were a match. But as soon as I rejected one or two candidates, literally never heard from them again. I mean, not even the professional courtesy of saying this is not going to work for us. I mean, uh, radio silence. And that has been repeated again and again and again. Uh, so so I have been the, the witness to that here most recently. And I think, uh, let's just go off on this tangent for a moment, if you'll indulge me, Kurt. I, I think that part of it is the way that most of the recruiters that I've dealt with, the way they compensate their staff which is commission, if not exclusively, I think, I'm not sure. But tell me, what am I missing there? Why, why this behavior that I've observed? Yeah, Henry, you've hit on a couple of, of things uh, that are broken with the industry. And 
first to answer your last question, most recruiters, especially serving this market, are pay their staff in, in a uh, commission base. That's absolutely right. Now, on the, on the uh, if you go up a, a notch, usually clients and your client, it sounds like in particular, was going to pay your recruiters on a commission basis. So th- were they contingent recruiters or retained recruiters? Explain the difference. Meaning so there was nothing, re- nothing paid up front. It was only paid yeah, if they exactly. placed a position. Yes. Exactly. So contingent recruiter is somebody that you pay only when they bring a body, which sounds great on on the face of it. The reality is your your incentives are absolutely misaligned. They're incentivized to bring a body uh, that they can convince you to hire, and they're going to be paid a commission. Uh, you're incentivized to, to get the best hire possible. You don't care where they come from. You don't probably don't care how much you pay for it, but you want a great candidate. And so when you uh, n- rejected their three, you know, slate of candidates, they probably went to uh, try to serve the other 10 or 12 clients that they're trying to serve at the same time Absolutely, because yeah. it's easier money. Of course. And, and so what the flip side of it, the different, the other way to do it is what? Well, there's two other kinds. And in, in fact, when I bought Hire Better, it was an hourly based model. So you would pay us a, a, a per hour basis, which had its own problems because it's hard to convince somebody like you or your clients to just keep writing checks until I tell you to stop, right? That's a, a broken model. We have, we do what we call retain. We're retained uh, by our clients. And there's a, usually it's the corn fairies, the hydro constructors, the big firms that are working with, with bigger companies that are retained. So we, we agree on a fee and you would pay us a, a, a typically a third upon engagement and then a third at a checkpoint when we're meeting our goals and the final third upon hire. So it's about the same fee, but it's structured differently. It's structured in a much more professional manner than a used car salesman type thing. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. We'll come back from that because that's not the only thing I wanted to talk about <laughs> here, right? Um, related to this, again, continuing with, with high-level concepts, the the ideal, as I put it, the ideal high-level recruiting and hiring process, what and, and as, let's apply this to a small business. So based on your experience, walk me through the high level milestones of what that should ideally look like. Sure. You know, as I said before, it starts with having a strategy. Right. That's, right? That initial strategy is key. And I think that most small business owners don't start there. It's like, oh, I need this body. I needed it yesterday. Put together some kind of a job posting and go. Yeah. That's uh, that's ideal uh, is to have a strategy. I, I realize strategy is a big word and I hate the word. I hate when people say that all the time, but it really is true. The other thing is exactly what you just said. Okay, let's decide now we know what we need. We need a controller for an accounting you know, person in, in an organization or a, an operations leader, something like that. What we typically do is we either go ask our friends, like, what does this person look like? Or we pull a job description off of Indeed or Career Builder or something, and we just amalgamate a bunch of other stuff for that position. Mm-hmm. So now our controller, which we have probably specific needs, becomes a monstrosity of a job description. What I liken it to is, is basically going out and, and uh, building your house with the wrong set of blueprints. Yeah. You might find the house that you've got the blueprints for, but they're the wrong blueprints. You really need to do a deep dive, honest assessment of what this position needs to try to accomplish versus a wish list that you find. Yeah. And I've um, been guilty of that. I think it's almost like this thing of, well, let me put everything on there. Uh, just <laughs> make sure we don't miss anything that we're looking for. Yeah. We all are Henry. Look, uh, this is, I'm not any expert there. I, I do the same thing and I'm uh, I've got other reasons why I'm a bad hire that we can go into. Here in a second. <laughs> all right. So 
putting the effort, the time into developing a good job description, then what I have found is a good job description doesn't make necessarily for a good job posting, right? I agree with that. And I would, where you're going next is what we call sourcing. And so a lot of companies, especially if it's a lower level role, might post something on a job board or, you know, to date myself, the classifieds, right? <laughs> um, in, uh, for, especially for manager and above type of roles, you're going to want to have a better uh, source, so to speak. So maybe it's, you, you do some postings, maybe you do some, some uh, uh, sourcing on LinkedIn, Go use the, uh, the typical words in your job description to try to identify talent in LinkedIn. Maybe it's asking your friends, uh, who is the best VP of marketing you ever worked with? And things like that. It's, it's just, a, it's not easy. This is also not a really quick fix. That's right. It yes. takes time. That's casting that hire. net. So whether I would post on somewhere like Indeed or not, though, do you think even in that scenario where I'm leveraging my network, or leveraging a platform of connections like on LinkedIn, do I need a, a ugh, I don't know, lack of a better term, a sales version of that job description that I would, if somebody says, I might be interested that I would send to someone? So what, what I heard you asking is, do I need to also sell my candidate? Now, you might, I'm not sure about the job description part of that question. Well, that but- definitely, that wasn't what I was asking, but that's definitely something that I want to get your thoughts on. So let's go there because that has been a struggle for me a big struggle for me because I think old school way and I'm older. It used to be that, you know, the employee, the prospective employee had to sell me on why I should hire them, but that has shifted for all kinds of good reasons. So let's talk about that. Yeah. For a couple of reasons it's shifted. One is because now most people don't need your job. They've got access to other jobs and uh, the ones, the types of employees we're looking for and you're looking for, if you're looking for the best, they probably already have a job. So we've got to have a compelling reason for them to leave their current job where hopefully they're building something that matters for someone else and woo them to come to our job. If they're so ready to leave because it's a, a dumpster fire or whatever at their old place, be careful. There might be a reason why you don't need to, to woo them and sell. Right, right. And it's also, as you touch on, it's because for those people, money is important, but it's not all about money, right? Absolutely. Absolutely true. We had a lot of uh, content we could talk about when it comes to uh, building the best place to work in today's environment, for sure. What do you see along those lines, especially, you know, people have talked about this ad nauseum, but we're hiring now younger workers because we're getting older. And so what do you, what have you seen are one or two of those things that they care about in addition to money? Yeah, I'm going to address your question about younger workers, but I'm going to uh, also address it for employees looking for meaning. And that that goes to old guys like me and probably you and other folks who want more than just a paycheck. That's exactly what they're looking for, Henry. They're looking for more than just a paycheck. And it's it's the softer side that, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you were laughed at for saying, oh, that's soft and fuzzy. I don't I don't I just want to pay somebody a paycheck and have them work for me. These folks are looking for meaning. Looking for purpose. Uh, the words you're going to use in the marketplace are things like mission, vision, core values. They sound soft, but trust me, especially the younger workers, they're looking for something to uh, believe in and something to strive for uh, more than just a paycheck. And so that's part of going back to then, then when I'm talking to a prospective candidate, I need to share with them how we create that, how we provide that opportunity beyond just the compensation in, in our work environment. 
It is. And, and again, this is going to be an answer many of your audience may not want to hear, but it's not just conveying that message at the interview table. It's building the, the, the foundation months and years in advance. So there is real realness to the of conversation. Course, yeah, of course, because otherwise <laughs> that's, it's just lipstick on it, right? They're going to read through that. You actually, that actually has to be something that is part of your culture. What I'm saying is even it, it let's assume it is, I traditionally, we would not have emphasized that necessarily, but that is much more important now to make sure that not only do I continue to build and, and, and nurture that in my organization, but but that that's part of what a prospective employee is looking for as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's also got to be part, let's just jump to this. It's also, I think, got to be part to this whole bigger conversation and topic about the great resignation. And I give it that title for lack of a better title for us to talk about. But I think this is part of that. People now can and are being much more selective as to where they go, especially at the level of people who have options. And, and so is that part of what you're seeing there as to why the job market is so tight? It is. And, and I'm glad that you see it that way as well. We, we've, the data would suggest that the great resignation is not necessarily greater than it would have been otherwise. It just uh, had a... a, a, a a uh, gap there during the pandemic where not much was going on, but the numbers are, are just about where they would have been otherwise. And the reality is the pandemic did highlight things for people. And I'm sure it highlighted it for you. It, it allowed us to take a step back and say, what do we want out of our life? What do we want out of our career? A good friend suggested to me early on, he said, Kurt, this pandemic is a, a great opportunity to reimagine everything. And I think a lot of people are taking that to heart with their job. Yeah, and it's the, the point you made about it. it's not just young people. We're, we're we've all been impacted in that way, um, and and so I heard you talk about this in another interview that you had done, or maybe it was uh, an episode that you had done. But tell me a little bit more. The numbers say that there hasn't been any great resignation. It's just a focus that's been brought on it, probably mostly by the media. But why is the job market? The reality is that the job market is tight. So as employers we're all having a harder time attracting talent. What other components are affecting this dynamic? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you straight up, Henry, I'm not an expert on this. I can only speculate like everybody else. And I don't think anybody's an expert on this. So here's my, my take. Um, we've got uh, a lot of people that in 2020 and 2021, especially at the entry level, lower wet paying jobs who didn't have to work. They got, uh, they got money from, um, from the feds to basically to, to not work. Um, we also had, we have a lot of, a lot of boom in the economy. So there's needs uh, for these, for these talented workers. And then you combine that with uh, everything else going on in the world. I, I, people retiring that we've been saying for years, boomers, were going to be retiring right. in droves. I think some of them are stepping out about where we thought they would maybe faster because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, a perfect storm. And that's Kurt's opinion. It's not any kind of fact or expertise, just a one man's opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. Thanks for those inputs. Obviously you're on the front lines, if you will, of helping companies attract talent. And so that's why I'm interested in your perspective and what you're seeing and what you're hearing, right? As I was going back to the client I referred to as I was helping them with that project, Often what we would hear is people, the recruiters would say, well, I, I've, 
I've been able to reach valid candidates, but they're happily and gainfully employed. They're not looking to switch. So that was often the case. Um, and maybe that might have been more the case five years ago, right? So there's part of that dynamic going on. All of these companies are doing well. So there's plenty of business, plenty of income. So those are the reasons people aren't jumping like they might have otherwise. So that's another factor that I heard that is impacting things. Yeah. All right. Um, let me go back to the process, especially in the hiring process, the interviewing process. Let's go to that. What, what are some common mistakes you, you observe that uh, especially, you know, maybe smaller organizations make in that process of interviewing somebody? I'm going to give you three uh, that we see pretty consistently. And the one is super easy to overcome, and that's simply being unprepared for the interview. And I'm sure you've seen it, but it goes something like this. Hey, Henry, we have Kurt in for his interview today. Oh, crap print the resume on your way to the, to the meeting. And so you're asking the same BS questions that everybody else asked the candidate. And it just shows that you're unprepared and this person's not important. So if it's person's an A player, you're not attracting them with that strategy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. And they can read through that. They, they, they know that you're not prepared, right? The good ones can, right? <laughs> the bad ones you're, yeah. Um, the other is, uh, and, and the next two points are going to seem somewhat uh, counter to them, to each other, but, one is giving too much sway to your hiring managers. Many of us as entrepreneurs, we have the mics of the world who are really solid individual contributors, but they're not solid managers. And we give them the ability to, to hire their team. So you're basically asking a B player to hire an A player, which never works. So we end up with a team of C players as a result. So that's one, or that's one of the, the two. The other one is that the, the entrepreneur is uh, perhaps the decision maker. And I'll speak for myself, but from my experience, this is a high percentage of the audience, perhaps if they're entrepreneurs, we don't know how to interview. We don't know how to hire. And let me, let me clarify. We, I, Kurt, am an optim, op, uh, optimist. So I'm going to like you for some reason or another. And if you're, if you're the stray dog, I'm going to find a way to, to bring you in and coach you up and make you into a, a solid contributor to the team. That's not a great strategy if you're growing fast. It uh, immediately makes me think of my partner, David and I, because he is like you in that regard. He'll, in the interview process, what he'll do is he'll, he'll like somebody and it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to, we're going to figure this out. The way that we balance that is I would then not bad cop, good cop is a bad analogy, but, or, but, but. I would be more direct and dig in deeper to get another perspective. And so that's one of the ways that we balanced that particular challenge that you're speaking to. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Bring in somebody who's got, uh, I'll say maybe more discernment's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Somebody who's going to be a, a stronger gauge or stronger interviewer. I tell my team, do not bring them in front of me if, uh, if, if you have any questions. Like put them in front of me when you're ready for me to sell. I'll be the salesperson. I'll talk about our culture. I'll talk about our vision. I'll talk about where we're going, but don't, uh, don't ask me to truly screen and vet people. Speaking of interview questions, uh, we, we chatted about this a little bit beforehand, but are there questions that you like questions that you hate that you've been hearing forever? Tell me some, give me some, uh, some input there or some thoughts. Well, let me tell you a couple that I like, and I'll tell you a style that we, that we use. It's called behavioral inter interviewing. 
And that's where you, but you try to tie it to the job that you're recruiting for, but it's tell me about a time. Tell me about a time when you did uh, streamline processes or whatever your, your goal for that position is and get them to tell you specific examples of when they've done it in the past. Another one I like is I love people who have grit. So I want to know, tell me about a shit show. Tell me when you overcame some serious stuff and, and tell me details. Like, how did you do it? What, how'd you feel? and get them telling stories about grit and perseverance. Mm-hmm. Those are my, my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. The, tell me the, the, tell me about a time is uh, I've learned to take that approach as opposed to what would you do? Because in a, what would you do? They can make anything up that sounds great. Right. Mm, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The ones that I hate, I'll, I'll first of all, I've, just generally the thing that I hate is being unprepared. we talked about before, yep. but we've gotten some, some of our clients have asked some silly, silly questions. <laughs> my, my team has reams of, of funny stories. My fun, my, the funniest one was when the client said, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? <laughs> That's the Barbara Walters question, isn't it? I think I love that. Uh, okay. So uh, I mentioned it very early on, and people might have not have known what I was talking about with an integrator, but that is part of the EOS, the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial operating system, which I know you have implemented, you speak to in the book. So uh, you talk about hiring the integrator. What, what are some of the unique aspects that come into hiring your integrator? Well, let's talk a little bit about the need. And you mentioned it with you and your partner. You have different styles. From what I could gather just in the 30 seconds you talked about it, he sounds like, or she sounds like they're more of the visionary style, which is can sell maybe uh, ice to Eskimos, perhaps can see the future, can uh, maybe uh, help you close big deals. You sound like you're more detail oriented, more of a manager and, and someone who make, to make it happen and execute. Is that roughly accurate? It's an interesting dynamic with us. And this is a, this is a, a fabulous uh, topic. We, we, generally complement each other and fall into those roles. But, uh, but I'm kind of one of those weird people where I have a mix of both, but yes, generally speaking, I think you would be right. So what people like your partner, typically, if, if he's a classic visionary has, uh, has those skills I just described, but, and I'll use me as an example, I suck at execution. I suck at managing. I, 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 I'm a optimist. I am always trying to see the positives and things. And that's not a great managerial style. So if it was just up to me, we'd be chasing rainbows and probably a different rainbow every day. But my integrator, in this case, Cisco Sakasa, who's now our CEO, I, I, I named, uh, promoted him CEO a year, year or two ago. His job is to execute that vision and hold me accountable and keep me guardrail so I don't try to change the team's uh, directives every, every quarter. And so he's really the, the guy to help make it happen. So that's how we operate in most successful businesses in this lower middle market typically operate. So the integrator is, is so important to get things done. You asked about how you find them and how you work with them. Um, the, uh, the key for me, once you identify the need is, is again, sourcing and, and casting a wide net and taking your time. This is as important as, as uh, finding a spouse uh, in, in your marriage. You're basically going to be married to this person professionally for several years. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's slow. It's methodical. It's uh, you know, wine and dine. It's get to know each other. It's ask deep questions. It's challenge each other. Uh, you want a partner, not an employee. Mm-hmm. 
And, and if you are uh, an EOS practitioner, your EOS implementer can often help with defining you know, what to look for there, right? And also helping you identify, do you already have that person in-house or not? Yeah. Exactly. The uh, EOS community does a great job of that. My challenge with promoting somebody from within, and this is where I differ a bit from, from that strategy, is that the person who is in that position needs to be able to challenge you yes, and, and go toe-to-toe with you and push back, not in a, in a uh, negative way necessarily, but just in a not allow you to, to chase everything. I, I made the mistake of having a, one of my employees as my first integrator at Higher Better, and she was great. I didn't listen to her. Right. It's got to be somebody that that you respect and, and trust at the same level and that um, you are going to listen to. Yeah. And that, that takes a certain type and a certain certain relationship. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Excellent. So give us a summary of the services that you currently offer through Hire Better. And then also let's talk a bit more about where I can find the book. Yeah, sure. So uh, just about Hire Better in general, we, uh, we are what we call a strategic talent partner. We specialize in, in growth matching, which is a way to help founders and entrepreneurs align their talent strategy with their business strategy, and then building a talent road, roadmap to make it happen. The types of services, which was your question that we do, are um, retained executive search. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Yep. We also do interim or project-based recruiting. And then we have a, a service we call strategic talent planning, which is the overarching uh, theme. And our clients uh, are around the 10 to $200 million in revenue mark. And uh, they're entrepreneurs who are driven, collaborative, and, and expansive thinkers. Excellent. And the book, again, is entitled, Who's Your Mike? A No BS Guide to the People You Will Meet on Your Entrepreneurial Journey. And I think you have a link where we can get an ebook version of that, right? Yeah, the, the book's going to be out in the in, in the late summer. It's already written and ready, but the damn supply chain, as all of us <laughs> are experiencing, is the hit printer is extra hard. But we'll have the ebooks available in uh, uh, around May fifteenth. And so, if you go to who'syourmike.com, uh, we will send you a free uh, version of the ebook, and uh, and hopefully you can uh, you know post a nice review on Amazon for us. So once we get that up and running, we'll be we'll be going off to the races. Absolutely. Uh, in addition to your book, is there a book that comes to mind that you've read recently or in the past that you would recommend? No, we talked about this integrator concept a little bit earlier, but Rocket Fuel is a great book. It's by uh, Mark Winters and Gino Whitman from the EOS world. And the reason I like it, uh, don't tell them this, but I would tell you to read just the first three chapters. So a lot of entrepreneurs uh, get distracted, but the first three chapters are golden. It talks about the visionary and the integrator and a little bit about the relationship and it's a eye-opening for people who are entrepreneurs and are frustrated and wonder why they just can't get over the hump. Absolutely. Great, great series of books from Gino. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to that one. We'll have a link to, to uh, Kurt's book, uh, the link where you can get the ebook at who'syourmike.com. We'll have that all on the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, we'll wrap it up. Kurt, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we had about getting better with hiring in our small business? You know, Henry, I would say the one thing is this is hard work and we all make mistakes. So give yourself some grace and, uh, and learn from them. But it's critical. This is, this is the key, in my opinion, to uh, having being able to grow a business or not. If you don't have the right people, it's not going to happen, right? Absolutely. I, I like to tell people you need capital and talent. If you have both of those things, you can weather any kind of storm, you can weather a pandemic or, 
or uh, an atrocity. But if, if you don't have one or the other, uh, you're going to struggle. Well said. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more and to get the book. Who'sYourMike.com. Excellent. Mike, uh, who's your Mike? Kurt. What? <laughs> <laughs> Too many first names. Kurt, thanks for uh, sharing, for being with me today. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks again. You got it, Henry. Uh, really appreciate the, the work you're doing. You're making a difference. Thank you. Appreciate that. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me for this episode of The How of Business. My guest today was Kurt Wilkin. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.